Welcome to Gator Bites, the official business podcast of the Maryland Davies College of Business. I'm your host, Miguel Gomez, and before we begin, we'd like to ask you to follow us on our social media channels on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and X. Uh, with us today is Dr. Richard Conde. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Appreciate the opportunity to join Gator Bites and have a nice discussion. Very nice. Yes. Uh, well, today we're here to talk to you about the art of sales. I know that that's something that's definitely in your wheelhouse as a professor of sales here at, M at UHD. But, you know, to start off, tell us about a few things about you. We want to know about your career as a sales executive, as a consultant, and uh, tell us about the sales MBA program here at UHD. Yeah, so I'll start a little bit farther back before my uh, sales professorship. I was born in Bogota, Colombia. Oh, wow. Yep. So I moved to the United States a long time ago. You know, back when I moved from the United States to the United States, uh, Bogota, Colombia had three to four million people. I moved to a very small rural town in Oklahoma mm -hmm. of 200. Earlsboro, Oklahoma had population 200. That's where I grew up. Uh, the beautiful thing about Earlsboro back then, it was highly diverse considering such a small town. And I think that diversity really helped shape my life. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, of course, went through college, grew up and uh, decided to go into sales, mm -hmm. uh, mostly inside sales. And uh, from there, sales executive, before I decided to become a professor, led an operation of about 400 salespeople. Oh, wow. uh, had uh, three different locations, uh, Des Moines, Iowa, San Antonio, and Lynchburg, Virginia. And eventually then I focused more on the Des Moines, Iowa location. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it was 400 individuals, a lot of fun. And then I decided to make it Midlife change. That pivot. That pivot, yeah. yes. So I left it all behind. And I think for two reasons, right? So two reasons were my motivating reasons to be a professor. Mm -hmm. One, I saw a lot of individuals like myself, first-generation um, professionals who didn't really understand the political game. And they really always focus about work hard, work hard. But when you're in corporate America or any business, there's a political game you have to learn how to play. Mm -hmm. And my thought was, if I can influence those individuals earlier on, they might have a better opportunity to learn the game and succeed at that game. And the second, I always had a kind of research question about inside sales. Was it really sales? Was it not really sales? Uh, so I really decided to leave it behind, my sales executive career, and get my PhD. Wow. Yep. And henceforth, at the University of Houston downtown. Wow, well, that's such an amazing path, and you're right. One of those things that is really fascinating about sales is being able to understand um, where where is the next sale going to come from, and you know what are the motivating factors behind it. You know, and just to ask you, tell us a little bit about that research that you're doing in sales, and you know what are some of the types of questions you're trying to answer. Yeah, so most of my research really is about the sales culture mm -hmm. and how culture drives outcomes. Mm. Right. Uh, so I, if I think back about my executive career and I think about some of the successes that, that I had, at the time I didn't know it was pattern after self-determination theory. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I really try to focus on as a sales leader is create a culture. And really the culture that I tried to create was based on three key items. Mm -hmm. Autonomy, allowing people to have autonomy over their jobs or outcomes. Increase people's competence, which is really about their ability to grow and learn, and also allow them to choose what they want to learn. And the last is that relatedness. How, as a leader, can we connect with employees, understand them, 
get to know that human connection and help them be successful. So at the time, I didn't know self-determination theory when I was <laughs> when I was an executive. I just thought I want to treat people the right way. My thought really was twofold. Number one, I respect people, not titles. And number two, the best idea has to win. Mm. In most corporations, the best idea comes from the highest level executive. My thought was, whoever has the best idea, that has to win. And generally, my belief was people are doing the work are generally closer to that idea because they do the work. Mm. So the culture I created was really around facilitating success, having conversations, giving people autonomy. And I think that was really the catalyst for the success that we had as a sales organization, you know, going from 65 million to over 100 in, in three years with actually fewer salespeople. Mm. I think it was really around the culture and, and the support, but yet the accountability because we are all accountable for our actions. And then that led me to my research. Most of my research is grounded on self-determination theory, mm. which talks about autonomy, competence, and relatedness, and really how when leaders create those uh, culture, they have better outcomes. Uh, people are happier, salespeople sell more. But that philosophy also transfers to any type of business, that's just sales. So if leaders can create those um, three aspects, consistency, they will have very successful organizations. That is so fascinating because ultimately culture is what makes or breaks an organization. It's what drives an organization forward and allows it to either stand the test of time or crumble like dust in the wind. Um, so I want to ask you, what in your experience as a sales leader and as an executive is the way to build a winning culture and how do you reduce turnover in an organization? Yeah, that's a great question. So my philosophy is culture is the worst behavior that you allow. Mm. If whatever behavior you allow, that's, those, are your, those are your cultural items. So one, you really have to have the courage to hold people accountable to what you believe. So mm. for me, it was, I respect people, not titles. I res best idea has to win. How do we support people? How do we help them be successful? Mm. And everything is surrounded around those aspects. And those aspects have to follow from the top down and facilitating people to have the, the ability to do those things and empowering people to make decisions. But my belief is that most organizations are too hierarchical and they tend to focus on what the boss says. And specifically in sales organizations, everything is tied to an incentive program. Hmm. Now, most academic research does not support the current uh, sales compensation structures. Uh, I do something in class, in my sales, um, sales management class. I ask it, all the students, I've done this for almost now four years, the fifth year coming up. I ask them, think about your dream job, mm. whatever that might be, whatever your dream job is. Mm -hmm. Then I say, raise your hand. Would you take 25% less money to do that dream job versus your current job? If you would, keep your hand up. If not, lower your hand. Without failure, I would say that 95% of people would take 10% less to 20% less salary to do their dream job mm. versus a job for more money. Now, Gallup supports this. Most of the employee engagement research 
supports the fact that people don't really stay at work for money, that other overarching principles. The challenge with sales is that most sales leaders depend on incentives to drive behaviors. So if you take a step back, if it was that simple, you would just pay more and you would get people to do what you want them to do. Right. But we're more complex. We're more complex human beings. And I think it all comes back to how you lead people, how you support them, uh, coaching, developing. But that takes an art. It's not as simple as saying, hey, Miguel, if you do this, you get five more dollars. Well, if it was that easy, we would all do it. Right. And you get the results you want. So to me, my research also counters the current sales compensation methodology. It doesn't support it along other, much other research, but there's a disconnect between what uh, industry does versus what science knows, and that connection hasn't been made because most individuals who are sales leaders were former sales agents, and they do what they know, and they think, well, if I offer you more incentive, it's going to be better. Uh, research supports about 20% of the people are really motivated by money. The rest of us aren't. Wow, that's so fascinating to hear because the conventional wisdom is that if you pay more money, that people will naturally gravitate that to in that direction. But you don't really see that. People want a combination, like you said, of their different factors that affect their lives, whether it be family, work-life balance. And if they're in their dream career or their dream role, uh, but they're paid just a little bit less, you know, it's, it's really surprising to hear that people would really uh, go in that direction. But it's also a bit comforting, you know. The fulfillment factor is a big, is a big thing, especially whenever trying to find what drives and motivates people. Um, ultimately, that just leads me to my next question. You know, you were able to go from sixty-five million dollars in sales to over a hundred plus million dollars in sales in three years with your sales organization. Um, what's the key to building high-performing teams? And like you said, what is the key factor of success? Yeah, I think there are many variables. As I reflect back on that time in my life, I also think about the employee engagement results. Mm -hmm. So whenever I took over that organization, uh, the Gallup score, which is the Gallup is a company that does engagement uh, surveys, mm -hmm. the operation that I inherited was a 3.6 out of 5. Uh, when I left three years later, we're a 4.6. Now, I have a question. What, yes. what does that score mean, yeah, just to break it down to our audience? Yeah, so employee engagement, one people would, people would say is how happy are you in your job, how engaged, how much extra effort would you give in your job. Mm -hmm. And there's, a, a say, I think 11 or 12 questions that Gallup uses to determine how engaged you are in your job. Mm -hmm. um, so it's other people do different or similar surveys, but we use Gallup. Mm -hmm. Does that help answer that question? Yes, of course. Okay. Uh, so... If you ask Gallup, this was, you know, back then they would say, if you increase your results 0.1 in consecutive years, they think it's a great result. Um, our team and I were able to increase it 0 0.3, 0 0.4, and then 0.3 again. We went from the lowest, the lowest engagement score in a 4,000 person operation or location in Des Moines, Iowa, to the highest. Wow. Um, so I think the sex success, sales success, really was an extension of the culture and the employee engagement and helping people succeed, hold them accountable, uh, but doing it in the right way and supportive and making tough decisions. Uh, certain leaders were no longer in the organization because they did not align to the culture that we're trying to create, mm -hmm. which is really employee focus, 
which creates autonomy, right? Allow people to choose their own path, competence, and also uh, relatedness. And then we involved our salespeople in all kinds of decisions. When it was time to uh, conceptualize the comp plan, they were in the room. Their ideas, and they had input in how that sales plan was created. When we came up with uh, different procedures, they were in the room with us. Because we want the best idea I had to win. Again, that was part of our culture. The, how can the best idea win when not everybody's in the room? Right. So I think it was more of a cultural uh, support. And then, of course, we used data. So I knew that I was transferring to academia. Mm -hmm. And I taught myself regression analysis because part of getting a PhD is uh, statistics. And it had been many years since I took statistics. So yeah. I made a, a midlife change, as I mentioned. And I started looking at our data. And I did some regression analysis. I'm like, well, we're doing all these things that really don't correlate to the outcome. Why are we doing them? Yeah. So we found three key drivers to sales outcomes. And my leadership team and I really focused on those three things. And, of course, it had an effect. It's not that we ignored everything else. We just focused on those three things. Um, and it helped drive uh, success and we also use some data to have better leads and so forth so it's really a combination of utilizing data and I would say probably ahead of its time with a cultural shift to really help employees be successful and then empower leaders to really focus on human connection understanding coaching helping by the same time holding people accountable Corporate America has changed a lot in the last 30 years, and one thing that stood out to me, just to give us a little bit of context, around what time was this happening? Uh, middle of 2010, so 2014, 15, 16. So this is a little bit after the 2008 recession yes. crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah so much after. It's sort of a reflecting period for the industry as a whole, you know. Uh, but the industry was about to grow, so that's really fascinating to hear. Um, ultimately, one thing that you've said throughout this whole interview has really stood out to me, and it's the idea that selling the best idea, you know, how do you sell the best idea? But uh, just to translate to our audience, uh, why is it so important to know how to sell yourself or an idea? Well, as I say, nothing happens without a sale. Yeah. Right. So, and I think a lot of times when people think about selling, they think about their approach, how I'm going to position it. Actually, when you're selling an idea or a product or service, it's about the buyer's intent. Mm -hmm. What is a value proposition? What are they looking? So there's this thing called jobs theory, which I find really fascinating. Every, every product or service does a job. Mm -hmm. When you figure what that job is, how do you help a person fulfill that individual job? You know, when we teach about sales strategy, we always start with the buyer intent. You have to understand the buyer intent because how can you sell something that I don't know that you want? Or I, I need to know what's important to you. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that's really changed in sales, I would say in the last five or seven years, is uh, how, where people enter the sales funnel. So mm -hmm. what a sales funnel is basically, you know, from a prospect all the way down to a conversion, the different steps in a sales funnel. But now with technology, people are entering the sales funnel at the buying stage. I go online, do all my research, all the information that I need, I have everything that I, that I could possibly have to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Now... I can just go purchase the product. Previously, I would have to call Miguel. Hey, Miguel, this is product. Tell me about it. So I entered the funnel at the top. Mm -hmm. And then you would move me down with information and, and presentations, overcoming objections, whatever it might be. But technology has allowed the buyer to have so much more power. 
And I think that part of sales is not really quite understood by a lot of sales organizations mm -hmm. because they still believe that people follow that same process where now 90% of all sales transactions are started by the buyer. Wow. Because we have the information and we know where we enter the funnel is going to be different based on our information. In a sense, we've basically shrunk the funnel with the rise of technology. I don't know if we shrunk it. I would say that we have made it easier for people to go farther down the funnel than before. Uh, and then, you know, you think about B2C, business to consumer, websites. And last time you bought probably a computer, you probably didn't go to the store. You went to, you know, some website, found what you wanted, a couple of comparisons, and you bought it. Yeah. So that's a, you, you went to the very bottom of the funnel. All I needed was the technical specs, and I went to the Costco, and I found the right one. That's right. That's right. So it's really changed, even for business to business, that's happening more and more often, because what individuals are making decisions now are millennials, Gen Zs. Millennials grew up with technology. They feel comfortable in their life. So it's nothing different for them. So it facilitates the process, because you have all this information, and then companies are trying to align with inbound marketing, providing information driving people to websites and keeping them there, make sure they go to the funnel. So it's really changed, I would say, in the last um, few years. And now, of course, AI and technology, and then analytics. Uh, really good organizations use complex analytics to really understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think as a salesperson, when you know all these items, you understand what the process is. But then also, the most, the most important is presenting to your target audience, to the customer, understanding what their communication style, and all those things together help you sell an idea, help you sell a product or service, but it's multifaceted, it's more complicated because of data and technology. And don't even get us started on the rise of AI because you know it, it's a brave new world at this point, but it's a far cry from whenever I was in my last role working at a digital marketing agency. We worked with B2B clients and these were a lot of industrial procurement managers who would just hop on Google and they would just look up, I need this type of specific grade of aluminum for an airplane or for uh, oil and gas facility, something like that. And that's how you connected buyers. But the the the, the way that people navigate to the final decision point in their sales journey has like shrunk so much in this last 10 years. So I'm excited to see how close we're able to get in the coming years whenever it comes to converting. But just to translate it to the day-to-day -day for a lot of the people, how do we apply these concepts to our lives? Yeah, so number one, understand the other person. Take time to understand that not everybody communicates like we do. Mm -hmm. So for example, I'm a driver. That's just my personality style. If you're gonna to communicate to me, get to the point, give me bullet points. I don't need a lot of like fluff. I don't need all this information. Uh, but people are different. Uh, you know, the different, different ways, people have different personalities. Number one is really understand the other individual. How do they communicate? What's the preferred communication style? That allows you to ebb and flow your approach. Mm -hmm. You're able now to change how you say, say something to somebody. And by that change, they're more open to the idea. Also try to understand what's important to them. Many times, we're more worried about what's important to us. Mm. So if you think about whatever you're selling, idea, the job, whatever, try to understand other people's perspective. Again, because that way you can position the value proposition, whatever you're offering. If it's an idea at a job or a presentation, 
once you understand that as soon as you can, then you can position the benefits of what you're uh, proposing the way they want to hear it. Right. So generally what happens in sales and the most business transaction, it's about what can I get out of it, what's in it for me, versus really taking a step back, understanding your prospect, your client, and that can be defined in many different ways. What's important to them, how do you communicate to them, how do you make their life easier? How do I solve their problem? Right. You're trying to solve other people's problems. And if you can shift your mind to focus, focusing other, on others' problems, uh, you'll be so much successful in selling anything you want to do. I, I always like to think about people's pain points. Like, what what is the root cause of the issue and how can you help solve it? And whether it's entering a, jo- a job role, whether you're the solution or you're selling a solution as a salesperson, it goes both ways. Um, you know, the class of 2023 is graduating this fall. Um, as someone who's a sales professional, as a consultant, as a professor, what advice would you have to the class of 2023 on selling themselves and defining what success means to them? Well, I think to me those are two different things, mm. right? Defining what, you know, how to sell themselves and um, what success means. Mm-hmm. I think how to sell themselves is what we just talked about, mm-hmm. understanding the other uh, perspective. In today's day and age, there's so much information available there is no reason why you should come into a conversation unprepared. You can find Google, chat GPT, whatever you need to learn about the topic. And whenever you enter the conversation, whether it be with a recruiter, with, with a new boss, with a current boss, whatever, you can come prepared with information. So that, that's the easy part. I'm always surprised that people don't do that, especially in today's day and age. Again, communicate to the other person. That's really important. And I think for a new graduate, networking. Hmm. But again, most people hear networking, they hear, hey, I'm going to send Miguel a, a LinkedIn request. He's part of my network now. So we're our LinkedIn. We're his, he's my network. He is not your network. Hmm. I always joke around and tell students, that network's like dating. <laughs> <laughs> you have to keep it up. You have to, hey, how's it going? And, but not about yourself, but about them. Hey, I saw this article you might be interesting yes. that you may want to read. Hey, this is something that I could I use your perspective. You need to network with individuals because in life, it's amazing how your network pays off. Bad networkers make it about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that I would say about being successful, I, I think we do is disjustice to new graduates to talk about being their authentic self. Right. Now, it's a little bit controversial, what I'm about to say, but companies have their own culture. Every company, large or small, has their own culture. They don't ha- if you have a, a company of 1,000 people, you don't have 1,000 different cultures of your authentic employee self. Right. right? The job of an of a employee is to be as authentic as possible within the realms of the company culture. Mm. Now, it's easier if the two are more aligned, but again, I know nobody, regardless of background, who is not a little bit different at work, right? And I think when we tell people, be authentic self, be you, you have to align to the company culture. There are certain norms that culture, that companies have. There are certain rules, regulations, unwritten rules. The quicker you understand those things, the more you're able to leverage that information your ability to, I call, play the game is going to make you more successful 
than thinking that your authentic self. Uh, because again, as a culture, as I'm driving my culture, when I have my team of 400 people, there's a culture in place. Right. You can be as authentic as you want to as long as you fit that culture. And when you break the, the cultural norms, then you become a distraction. Right. I always think about, like, uh, back in the day, San Francisco 49ers, their, their head coach, Walsh, he would not, he would release their best players. He would release good players because they didn't fit the culture. He realized that culture was more important than individual and maybe a high performer. So the reason I think it's important because, again, we're in this age of authenticity. I get it. It's important to, to be who you are, but you have to align to what the culture of the company is. If not, you'll be a standout, and you won't last there long. And that happens all the time. You know, that's so fascinating because I feel that culture is ultimately what keeps people in and or drives people out. And like you said, uh, this idea of being authentic and uh your individual self is really important, but you added the key caveat of within the realm of the culture. You have to understand that there are certain norms such as being prompt in terms of your communication or being able to deliver projects by a deadline. Um, you know, all those things come into play as you become more experienced and you become more of a professional in your industry. And I think that's something that is sometimes just learned, you know. It takes time to learn that skill. And like you said, to play the game is a whole different set of rules as well that you learn as you go along as a professional. Um, but with those tips that you provided to the class of 2023, I think they'll be well on their way. And I think that it's one of those things that um, I'm excited to see their rise. And it just takes some time to be able to learn those rules. But um, thank you so much for coming out to the program today, Dr. My Conrad. pleasure. Um, this has been Gator Bites, the official business podcast of the Maryland Davies College of Business. I'm your host, Miguel Gomez. Uh, our producers have been uh, Ricardo Saint. Victor Henson. Uh, our set designer is Evangelina Vasquez. And we want to remind you to always take out of business, a bite out of business, and we'll see you later, Gators.